0: Hello and welcome to the BTC Pod. My name is Michael Castello and today we will be bringing you a comprehensive summary of the East play-in slash playoff race. So we're not going to be talking about the top four seeds, we're going to be talking about all the teams either in danger of falling into or currently in or hoping to make it into the play-in games for the Eastern Conference. The play-in is 34 days away. On average, we have 18.2 games remaining for these teams. There are nine of them, seeds 5 through 13. And the plan works as follows. Quick summary. 7 plays 8, which is currently Charlotte playing host to the New York Knicks. 9 plays 10, which would be the Pacers hosting the Chicago Bulls. And then the winner of 7-8 gets the 7 seed, and the loser of seven eight plays the winner, so say Charlotte beats New York, they secure their own seven seed, and Indiana beats Chicago, which would be chalk. Indiana would then be on the road against New York winner gets the eighth seed and that's how it currently stands, like I said for seven through ten to run down the whole standings. Boston is one game above the plan the Miami Heat are half a game above the plan Charlotte and New York are the same, both a half game back of Miami, and Charlotte has a tiebreaker over New York, so that's why they're seven. And then the 9 10 game, Indiana is two games back, Chicago is five and a half games back, and then 11 Toronto is one and a half games back of Chicago for the 10. I'm sorry, two games back of Chicago for the 10. Washington is two games back of Chicago for the 10 as well. Toronto has a tiebreaker over Washington, and the Cleveland Cavaliers are three games back of Chicago for the 10. So we're going to talk about starting at the top and going down each team, their health situation, their remaining schedule, their latest trends. So the five seed Boston Celtics have won six out of seven. They are fully healthy injury report wise, except for Evan Fournier, who's currently in COVID protocol. We don't know yet if he has COVID or if he has to isolate because of close contacts or what, but like rapid testing makes you think that we will know pretty soon. Boston is one game up on Charlotte, and they are trending way up, so I don't expect them to be in the play-in. We'll just cut right to it. To say that they're fully healthy is a little bit reductive because almost everybody on the Celtics has missed time this year. Jason Tatum had COVID in January, and he's still experiencing effects from it three months later. He said after yesterday's win against Portland that he takes an inhaler before every single game to open up his lungs because of the respiratory effects that COVID has had on him. He never did that before. So a quarter of a year later, and that's something to remember with every COVID player. Jimmy Butler's another big player who had COVID, that it's not like a cold. You don't just get over it, and it can still affect you. It can still affect you for a while. We saw Mo Bamba with a really bad case of COVID doing that to him. He's come around, which has been awesome. But, yeah, Kemba Walker's missed a lot of time. Tristan Thompson as well. Evan Fournier, like I said, is currently out. But they're getting better. And yesterday they had what I think is going to be their ideal starting five. Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams in the middle. Robert Williams, man, I could do a whole pod on how good he has come around to be the past couple months. And if that sticks, man, they are getting healthy at the perfect time. So, like I said, six out of seven. Their talent is so much better than how they've played this year, and it seems like they're finally realizing that, and they're finally clicking at the right time. So I think Boston and Miami, we'll talk about Miami in a second, are both basically locks to not make the plan. So on to Miami. Oh, for reference, by the way, Boston's strength of schedule remaining is 17th hardest, so 14th easiest. So middle of the pack. Miami, half game back of Boston, half game up on Charlotte, so they are in the thick of things. Miami's tiebreaker situation is... As follows, Boston has it, but they've got two games left against one another. So if they take both, they get it over Boston. The Hornets have their tiebreaker, which is not good when you're only half game up on them. But they have the tiebreaker over the Knicks, who they're also half game up on. Because Charlotte and New York are virtually tied. Just a tiebreaker scenario. So Miami's in decent shape. Their strength of schedule is fifth easiest, which bodes really, really well for them. Health-wise, they are getting to where they should have been all season. They started off 6-12. Jimmy Butler and others like really decimated the roster for a while with COVID. Like He was missing games. Iguodala, Adebayo. We were seeing some really, really weird heat lineups getting thrown out there. A lot of Carlos Silva minutes. Um, but yes, health-wise... Except for Victor Oladipo's knee soreness, which when it happened on April 8th was totally unknown. They thought he could miss the entire season. He's still unknown, but it doesn't seem that bad or that it will require surgery. Like I said, it's wait and see. I'm not a doctor. I'm not in their building. The rest of the team is healthy except for Oladipo, except for Gabe Vincent with knee soreness and Casey Paula being in health and safety protocol. Those are under the bench guys. Victor Oladipo is not somebody you would wish to be hurt because of how damn good he is, former all NBAer. but he's a new cog, so they're used to playing without him, so he's almost like gravy, so not that you would pick anybody to get hurt, but they should be able to survive him, and they've played a lot of successful basketball without him, and I want to shout out Trevor Ariza, who's been amazing. He's played their Jay Crowder role, he's not as good as Jay Crowder, and he's older, but he was somewhat out of the league, like a salary dump, and it never made sense to me because of how damn good he is. So he's been playing a lot for them, and he's been playing well. Miami seems to be back in shape as well. I don't expect them to be in the plan either, but they in Boston are a game only above it, so you'd be foolish to not mention them. And now the seven seed, Charlotte Hornets. Like I said, they would play host to the New York Knicks in the play-in game first round. They have not the same record because the Knicks have played two more games. So Charlotte's 27 and 26. The Knicks are 28 and 27, but they're both a half game back of the Heat. Charlotte has the tiebreaker over the Knicks, like I said, but there's two games left to play. So if the Knicks take both of them, the Knicks get the tiebreaker. Charlotte has a tiebreaker over the Heat, and they've got two games left against the Celtics. They got the tiebreaker over the Pacers, who are the nine seed, but. What's interesting with Charlotte compared to the other teams is, yeah, they're in the thick of things, but of all the teams listed, they are the worst off health-wise. So to summarize for Charlotte, they have the ninth easiest schedule remaining. I summarized their record already. Health-wise and trend-wise are totally two different directions, which is weird. Lamelo Ball is done for the season. Gordon Hayward, as of April 3rd was diagnosed to miss four weeks, so that would give him a projected return date of May 1st. We'll know as it gets closer how accurate that was and he gets reevaluated, maybe it's longer or shorter. Malik Monk has been out, should be back in the coming days. Not that serious, he was playing a lot and playing really well in March. P.J. Washington and Terry Rozier are listed as day-to-day, so even when they're playing, they're not 100%. So that's not a good injury report. But in 12 games since LaMelo went down, they've won seven of them. And that includes going two and three in their most recent stretch. Those being the five games since Gordon Hayward went down. So, without their two best players, they haven't been horrific, right? They're treading water. And Malik Monk is a great third guard, even without LaMelo. Like, the trifecta of. Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, and Malik Monk is one of the best three-guard rotations. Malik Monk was hardly playing, and that was absolutely abhorrent when LaMelo was up and he was the fourth guard instead of the third guard. He's awesome. They, I don't want to say they're going to be fine because every other team around them is gunning for their spot and currently in better shape than them health-wise, but They've got the tiebreakers, like I said. Tiebreaker over the Heat, driver's seat for the tiebreaker against the Knicks, tiebreaker over the Pacers. And those are the only teams that can feasibly catch them or that they're next to. So they have to just tread water. They are five and a half games up on the 10 seed Bulls. So seven and a half games up on any team that's not in the play in. So it's really hard to see them fall out entirely. And Gordon Hayward will be back for the plan, which will be really nice. Like They'll be damn near full strength. So I don't see them falling out, but I don't expect them to stay as the 7th seed. Which naturally leads us to the team closest to them. Team equal record-wise, but losing the tiebreaker, New York Knicks. Like I said, Charlotte has the ninth easiest schedule. The Knicks have the 25th easiest schedule, so 6th hardest. And... Health-wise for the Knicks and trend-wise for the Knicks, solid. Four out of six is slightly above five hundred in their most recent stretch. Mitchell Robinson had surgery on March 29th and is likely done for the season. But other than that, full, I mean, relative health, considering the games we've played in the small amount of time. The Knicks are getting everybody basically every night. John Henson, who has played 15 minutes over 40 games this year, Fifty minutes per, not total. Missed Monday's game with a calf injury, but is day-to-day. Other than that, the injury report is totally clean. So that means, like, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Alec Burks, like, they're big guys. It's funny that Alec Burks is a pretty big guy, isn't it? Um, but he's been amazing, I will say. Alec Burks is one of my favorite fringe players. And he's done some serious damage having a career year in New York. Uh... The Knicks are pretty good outside of Mitch Robinson. Nerlens Noel is not as good as Mitchell Robinson, but he's so similar in the way that they played that it's been only a half step loss instead of a full step replacing Mitch in the lineup. Nerlens Noel is one of the best big defenders in the entire league, steals, blocks, all of that. So, John Henson too, very good defensive big. That's about all I can do so he's slid up into playing serious minutes, more serious minutes since Robinson went down. And the thing with the Knicks is they've been steadier than really any other team in this 5 to 13 more than half of the conference region. Right? They've been about 500 balling all season long. And that doesn't project change like defense translates They've won three in a row of those four out of six games. So they can beat anybody. They can hang with anybody. They play ugly, and that brings teams to their level, and they're going to beat you with experience at the ugly level. I don't see them jumping to five or six because it's hard to see them getting better, but it's hard to see them getting worse, and they would have to like get worse, gen- genuinely worse to fall out of the 7-8 game. So I think they're more likely than not to jump Charlotte, given the fact that they've got about... They have 17 games remaining. Charlotte has 19 games remaining, I believe. Plenty of time to catch a zero-game difference, only a tiebreaker separating the two. So I project them to be the 7th seed. I don't think they'll catch Boston or Miami because those teams are trending upward, where the Knicks are just chilling on their very comfortable plateau. It's going to feel good for Knicks fans to get a taste of postseason basketball. That takes us to the nine-seed Pacers, which is much more interesting than the flat Knicks. I love the Knicks, but they are death-by-a-thousand-cuts consistent. Indiana health-wise and trend-wise, they have the seventh easiest schedule remaining. They are two games back of the Knicks-slash-Hornets for the 7-8 game, so they will host the 10-seed Bulls as it stands right now. They also have 19 games left to play. They are doing decent health-wise. TJ Warren is out for the remainder of the season, and Karis LeVert in the COVID season has had the weirdest injury of the year, so they're in a weird limbo. Miles Turner has missed the last three games with an ankle injury, but it's nothing too serious, and The blocks-per-game leader by almost a full block should be back, should definitely be fine soon, and certainly fine by the plans, should they make it. They've won 4 out of 6 and 8 out of their last 14, which doesn't seem like a lot, but they're 3 games under five hundred, so they were not in a good spot. Now they're doing a little bit better, and like I said, health-wise is something... They're doing better in than they have all season. They were relying on Victor Oladipo, which is something you never want to do health-wise. And then after trading Victor Oladipo, Karis LeVert just straight up wasn't playing. So him and TJ Warren left a massive gap in the wing. And that asks a lot. When they're fully healthy, the five of Brogdon, Oladipo, now LeVert, TJ Warren, Sabonis, and Turner is one of the most talented fives. Right? Like those are all all star ish level players and a lot of them play defense. Really all of them play defense, except for Levert and Sabonis, but Sabonis is a good fit next to Turner, so it's solid defense. But yeah, so Indiana is healthier than they've ever been. They're trending relatively upward and they're not in a terrible spot. So I don't know whether they'll be 7 or 8 or 9. It's hard for me to think that they'll be 10, given that they're three games up on the Bulls, five games up on anybody on the outside looking in. And they don't have really any tiebreakers. They've got the tiebreaker against the Heat, but they probably won't catch the Heat. The Bulls have the tiebreaker on them. The Knicks have the tiebreaker on them. The Hornets have the tiebreaker on them. They've got a game left to decide against the Raptors, they are 0-1 against the Wizards with two left, and, I mean, the Celtics have the tiebreaker, but that's really not probably going to come to pass, but I'm optimistic about the Pacers. They've played solid enough ball, and they are 9-16 and at home, 16-12 and on the road, which is unbelievable. They have the worst home record in the Eastern Conference, except for the Orlando Magic, who have played four more games, so... Give it time. But that's insane. Like, the Pistons have the worst record in the conference, and they have a better home record than the Pacers. So I don't know what that is. The Pacers are letting fans in, like, they have been all year. I really can't place it, but it kind of feels like that's good for them. Like, in a weird way, they've got room to improve in an easy way to improve with 11 home games left. You, something's got to regress to the mean. I'm, I'm high on the Pacers. I'll leave it there. Tenth, we have the Bulls. They are three back of the Pacers and two ahead of the Raptors and the Wizards, three ahead of the Cavs. So... Nobody's immediately breathing down their neck, which is probably good, considering they've got a lot of things to figure out. The Bulls traded for Nikola Vucevic and Daniel Tice and Troy Brown Jr. at the trade deadline. So that's talent acquisition, right? They gave up assets to turn solid players into better players. And... Early returns have been more growing pains than any Chicago fan would like. They're 3-7 and seven with Vucevic. Um, health-wise, they're pretty good, and their strength of schedule is 10th hardest. So like I said, they're 3.5 back of Indiana for the 9, so they probably won't catch them. But they've got a tiny amount of breathing room and tiebreakers. So they're two games up on both the Raptors and the Wizards and they have a tiebreaker against both those teams they've got the tiebreaker against the Pacers should they catch them so they could be in worse shape and you have to figure that they're getting better like I said 3-7 and seven with Vooch in the lineup and their only injury is Garrett Temple hamstring has kept him out since March 29th and he is still out but that's kind of a big injury honestly especially considering he's maybe your best vet besides Thad Young. But he plays wing, which is the most important position. And they're scary thin on the wing. So Levine's, like, between wing and combo guard because he's their lead ball handler. And other than that, it's scarce, man. Like, Denzel Valentine has been playing way too much. And Garrett Temple plays great defense. He shoots the three. And like I said, he's one of the best vets in the league. He just has... He communicates. He's a team defender. He puts people in the right spot. Like, he's somebody you really want. He's been one of the most underrated free agent signings, honestly. But, yeah, they're healthy. Like, even though Garrett Temple's not on the floor, he's still with the team, and everybody else who's decently talented is playing. But they lost six in a row won three in a row, and then lost their most recent three. So not all of that is – that's 12 games. Only 10 of them have been since the trades. So the growing pains have been rough. And the Bulls are a team who's all offense, no defense. So they did what the Nets did, which is you lean into your strength, which I think is really smart. So they traded for Vooch, who sucks on defense, but everybody knows that, and maybe he can be average. But he makes your offense so much better. And offense is how you're going to win games. That's what the Nets did. They said, we're going to have the best offense ever, and it doesn't matter what you guys do. And the Bulls aren't that good, but the philosophy, I think, still rings true. But it hasn't been enough yet. Vooch and Lowry Markkinen are so bad on defense that they're unplayable together, and that's tough. Thad Young is a really, really good defender, and Daniel Tice is also one of the best defenders in the league. But... It's weird fits all the time. Not all the time, but enough of the time where it doesn't just bail them out. You can't just have fire and ice and then be totally set. So, the Bulls, not playing well, man. They lost to Minnesota. And you don't need to lose to Minnesota. Minnesota doesn't really... I mean, they've been great since D'Lo got back relative to their expectations. But you got to beat Minnesota, dude. They're the worst team in the league. And like I said, 3-7. and seven. I'll keep saying 3-7 because that's not great, man. He's an all-star. He's a multi-time all-star. And he's been decent. His numbers are not worse but different. Like he's shooting better and turning it over less. But he's getting two less rebounds and a couple less points. But that'll come. But they have to figure it out, and they don't really have time for more growing pains. Like, 10 games is what you can really afford to give your team. So, the Bulls, I think, are interesting because they've got this talent, right? So, they could feasibly win both playing games, right? They could beat the Pacers, definitely. They got the tiebreaker over the Pacers, which suggests that they're doing something right in the games where they actually played each other. And they could beat the Knicks or the Hornets, like, that's as it stands now, those Team Warders could change, but they've got what it takes to win both those games if they can stay in the play-in. But can they turn it around enough and turn it around soon enough is their question. I think yes, but I don't bet yes. And that takes us to the 11-seed Toronto Raptors. They and the Wizards are both two games back to the Bulls. But the Raptors have the tiebreaker, so they are 11 and the Wizards are 12. The Raptors are, we won't spend a lot of time on them because they're, for lack of a better word, tanking or very best semi-tanking or just generally not trying to win at all costs, and the plan isn't important to them. Fred Van Vliet with a hip injury hasn't played since April 2nd. Kyle Lowry missed yesterday, Tuesday's game, for rest even though it wasn't a back-to-back, and will likely load manage the remainder of the season because it's kind of old, he's an expiring. They almost traded him, but then they didn't. And so for your all-time franchise player, they'll probably sign and trade him to a contender. And that's the reason they didn't trade him was because they couldn't get a package that was alluring enough to them because teams were wary of him being a rental walking after the playoffs. So now that he can sign a contract with whatever team he gets traded to, the packages should be better. And neither Lowry Reed nor Toronto want to jeopardize that, so they're shaking hands in agreement. And while their schedule is only the fifth hardest remaining, they've only lost 17 out of 21 games. If you take out the nine-game losing streak that starts that stretch, they've won four out of 12. It's impossible for me to get behind Toronto. Gary Trent's been amazing. OG Ananobi's awesome. Pascal Siakam's one of the most underrated players in the league. But they don't seem like they want it, and they certainly don't need it. So a lottery pick helps them, the best drafting team in the NBA, way more than really playing pride does because... Even if they win, so what? Right, the top of these is so good. But yeah, so Toronto is the 11 seed. They are not going to make the plan. I would love to eat crow. I think it'd be stupid though. So Toronto's a smarter franchise than I am. So that's enough on them. The other technically 12 seed, like I said... Same as Toronto, but no tiebreaker. Washington Wizards are two games back of the Bulls. And there's a lot to say about the Wizards, given the Jekyll and Hyde that they have been all year long. Health-wise, Thomas Bryant, done for the year. Other than that, Daniel Gafford, their new best center, who they got at the trade deadline for Mo Wagner and Troy Brown Jr., has missed about 10 days, maybe two weeks, with an ankle... But now he's listed for shoulder soreness that happened in their most recent game against Utah. It should not cause him to miss any time. Other than that, injury report is clean. Their strength of schedule remaining is the third easiest, which they are way better against below 500 teams than they are against good teams, which makes sense when you suck. But they, like I said, against Utah, they beat them. They snapped Utah's 24-game home winning streak. Utah hadn't lost a game since New Year's Eve. Like, 2020. Their first home loss of the year. It was to the Wizards? Uh, Yeah, Conley didn't play, and somebody else didn't play. But, I mean, still. The Wizards beat them handily. Their other games, so they swept the season series. They've taken care of the Nets. So they've beaten both first seeds multiple times. Like, four wins. And... That's weird, right? Like they've got two superstars, Russell Westbrook, who's won the MVP in the past half decade, and Bradley Beal, who's the current leading scorer in the entire NBA and has really no holes in his game. They should be good. They started 6 and 17. Since that 6 and 17 start, they are 14 and 16 for a total of 20 and 33. And by no stretch of the imagination is 14 and 16 ball good ball but that doubles the winning percentage of before like even more than doubles it 6 and 17 i mean so that's not nothing and i don't know super easy schedule like they are way more likely to jump the bulls than the raptors or the calves so they've got to be your bet if you don't think that the four current teams are going to be the four playing teams But Scott Brooks is one of the worst coaches in the league. They don't play defense. They play Robin Lopez and Alex Len significant minutes every single night. And they've underwhelmed. Russell Westbrook's super hot. Russell Westbrook has been playing like Oklahoma City version, which isn't necessarily a ton considering they were willing to trade him. But he's better than he was on the Rockets this past month and change. He's already got the Wizards record for triple-doubles. Um, yeah, the Wizards, they have to be your pick if you see them getting hot. I don't see them getting hot, but if the Bulls don't fix it, the Wizards are taking their spot. It's like, honestly that simple. The Bulls have... Hard schedule, Wizards, easy schedule, Wizards hitting stride, consistent, no growing pains left because it's the same guys every single night, versus the Bulls, have thrown everything at the wall. So, yeah, I don't expect the Wizards, okay, expect might be a strong word, but they're the opposite of what I said with the Bulls, right? I think the Bulls, but I don't bet the Bulls to be the 10 seed. The Wizards are their only competition, and... They should hope for a lottery pick, but they could run the plan. They've got a higher ceiling than the Bulls, because of their talent. The Bulls, like I said, could win and make the playoffs, beating two of whatever teams they see. So could the Wizards, and the Wizards could do that like even more handily. Don't think the Wizards can win as a seven or eight seed in the playoffs, but when you've got Russell Westbrook, you're always in win now mode. He's thirty two. Lastly, we have the 13-seed Cavs. So they are three games back of the Bulls for the 10th spot, one game back of the Wizards and Raptors. And they probably aren't really going for it. They've lost 7 out of 9. Colin Sexton and Darius Garland are both day-to-day but expected to play. Damon Dodson is out but also listed as day-to-day. Dylan Windler is out. Um, Kevin Love is back, and it's been solid. But like I said, 7 out of 9. They're not that close, but they've got the 8th easiest schedule remaining. I think one more lottery pick really, really helps the Cavs. Their core is honestly awesome. Like I said, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Dylan Windler's pretty good. Dean Wade has been a smash hit relative to his expectations. Isaac Okoro's is awesome, Jared Allen's the center of the future. Jedi Osman at this point, I think we know he's a role player, but he's a good role player. Damian Dotson is a legit backup point guard, and he's young, so I mean there's some upside there, like he could get better still. And I mean, the Knicks should never have let him go. Cavs fans know that he's awesome. So that's an additional guard. They still need more, but he's another good player who's young. And Larry Nance. Larry Nance is a beast. He's, like, that young. I think it's a decent comp off the top of my head, but he's a player you want around. He's not that old, and he's low mileage, so he can still get a lot better. I think one more pick really does them solid, or maybe they decide that they're ready to win, and they make a move like the Bulls did with Vucevic, in which case you want your assets as good as possible, and the trade deadline's already passed, so you can't do that till the off season. Um... Won't spend too much time on the Cavs, but they're good. Like, they could do it. They could turn around. I have faith in their talent. I have faith in their ability to get hot. But I don't think they really want it. And like I said, seven losses out of nine is hard to bet on. So we won't spend too much time on good old Cleveland. But I love them. I think they're going to be awesome next year. I really like what they're building. And so to summarize, 5-6, and six, Boston and Miami, I think are safe. Charlotte and Chicago could both fall or fall out. Chicago, if they fall, they automatically fall out. Charlotte is 7. They probably will not be 7. This part of the section is my opinions, by the way, everything else. like I hope I give you a good rundown on what to expect for the last 18.2 games in 34 days of the season. But yeah, New York and Indiana seem to be in good shape. Charlotte and Chicago, very up in the air. Chicago could go up, like I said, considering that they got better at the deadline. Charlotte has to survive injuries. Toronto, probably tanking. Washington, total wild card highest ceiling. And Cleveland, they're close enough. You know, I don't want to write them off. Even though, like I said, I'm pessimistic about them. I do not think that they're bad. I do not think that they can't do it. I just think other things about them. We'll wrap it there. I have been Michael Castello for Ball Things Considered. That's ballthings.com. My Twitter is hoopsmichael, hoops like basketball, Michael, M-I-K-A-L. And thank you so much for listening And enjoy the rest stretch run of the NBA season because it is about to get good. And the plan could be wild.